Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, the heat finally gave way to rain. We we actually had some rain this last week. Thank goodness. You know, I mean, the 100-degree heat there for a couple of weeks was, uh, I don't know. My, Hot. My grass was crying yes. when I came home from vacation. Screaming but, uh, for some water. Now it seems very, very happy. So uh, temperatures have abated. So now we're back to ni- nice spring weather. So hope everybody that's listening <laughs> spring somewhere. is enjoying <laughs> that somewhere. Exactly. Um, but we do have a great show lineup for you today. You know, we're going to start off talking about... Um, 529 plans. Um, you know, it's always a great topic, but we're going to specifically talk about how to get the money out of the plans mm-hmm. because it's a little more complicated than people realize, or there are more choices and there are more potholes you can fall into than you may realize. So very important topic. And I can tell you, I've had some, so a lot of experience with this, you know, and, and fell into some potholes. So you'll want to stay tuned for this if you're saving money in a 529 plan. Yeah, and then we're going to follow that up with a discussion on uh, buying a home. I saw a stat this week, you know, interest rates have dropped a little bit and uh, mortgage applications spiked 27%. So wow. a lot of folks are out there looking at homes and we've got uh, a list of uh, home buying mistakes. So you want to tune into this. There's some uh, some really good uh, rules of thumb in here as we go through this on making sure you don't turn your house in, uh, from a blessing into a curse. And we do see houses that are curses on people because it just overwhelms them. Yeah, you got to be careful about that. You know, buying a home's not for everybody, and uh, you got to make sure the time's right. So that's a great and timely topic. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a, um, a link to the podcast. You can actually listen to the podcast directly from the website. Also have a lot of tools out there. I was uh, uh, Matthew and I were talking to a group of uh, high school students about uh, majors and and what majors to to go into or you know at least do some research into it. We have a link on our website that talks about salaries and percentage that have to get grad degrees. So long story short, on the website we have a lot of information. Go check that out. Facebook page MoneyMD and also a Twitter handle as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us straight off of the website. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. And John, this is one I came up with, you know, because I I really like this fact, you know, because we always tell people save 15% of your pay every year, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't go wrong in retirement. Well, here's a fun fact about that. If you save 15%, you know, right from the get-go, when you get a good, your good first job, and if you made 10% a year, so you invested in stocks, and stocks have averaged about 10% per year going back 80 years, um, you would end up with a balance after 35 years for retirement with, that's about the same as your lifetime earnings. Wow. So that's that means, cool. yeah, it's pretty cool. So that means, in in other words, every penny you've ever earned would be ready for you at retirement. You know, if you start with that 
every year when you get your first job. Yeah, we had that conversation. So I just mentioned Matthew and I were talking to the Boy State group um, for South Carolina up in Anderson College. And, you know, these these kids are, you know, rising seniors and um, they're really bright folks that are going through that program. And and so we had those conversations of, you know, we talked to them about the compounding effect. And that's kind of what you're talking about here. Exactly. Man, if you start early on this stuff, it just explodes over time. Yeah, if you start off, for example, here with a $50,000 salary, 15% will be $7,500 in the first year. And, you know, if you get a 3% increase every year, um, you make 10% per year. Guess what? After 35 years, you have $3 million in your retirement plan. And that's about equal to your lifetime earnings over 35 years think, under that scenario. I think you could retire with $3 million. I think yeah, so. That's, that would that's, be pretty yeah. comfortable. And it's pretty cool just thinking when you get near retirement, hey, I have as much saved now as I ever earned over my entire lifetime. Yep. So I thought that was a cool fact. I like week. it, Steve. Good job. That was a good hey, one. Be careful you, you don't go. start doing it every week. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but I like that one. So that's good. All right. And that leads up to our first topic here. And that is 529 plans, how to get the money. Um, you yeah, put it in, now get it out. You put it in, now how do you get it out? You know, And unfortunately, I have a lot of experience with this, and there are some definitely some complications here you want to be careful of. But this is based on an article uh, very recently out of Consumer Reports by Beth uh, Braverman. And, uh, but, John, you know, who par- parents who have been saving for their college expenses for years now you know, know that putting money into a, a 529 plan is one of the, you know, best accounts you can possibly set up, you know, um, on a tax advantage basis. Um, and it's easy to put money in once you get it set up. But it's also one of the, the best tax advantage accounts on the planet as long as you use the money for education. But there is a lot of confusion about how to take the money out of these plans and how to do it properly without, you know, getting into trouble um, also, accounting for the money <clears throat> that you've taken out and following your resulting taxes is fraught with some pain and complication if you're not careful. Um, and so when I was doing this for my kids' college costs, I got letters from the IRS three years in a row asking me to prove that the money was used for qualified educational expenses. Knock, knock on wood, I've never had that letter. Is that right? I, I don't know why. I mean, because we use 529s and we yeah. pull them out and so forth. I documented them, but you, you've probably been knock doing on it, wood. You've I mean, probably been doing it better than me. I, I don't know, but, you know, I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just pointing out. Yeah. It's, and I was careful after the first year to try to do it right, make sure I wasn't, you know, clicking some box, you know, on TurboTax that caused that. Um, but you know what? I got it again, like two, three years in a row. And I got so frustrated by the third year, you know, I just like threw all my receipts. I was ready for it, man. I just like threw all my receipts, you know, an envelope and check. No, I disagree with your tax assessment and <laughs> send it back, send, to send it back to him. And I'd never heard anything else, you know, other than <laughs> like a letter a few months later saying, oh, it's all good now, you know, but anyway, I mean, you know, there was a lot of pain responding to that. And so you want to try to avoid that kind of situation, and, um, you know, but this is partially because withdrawing money out of 529 plans isn't as straightforward as it sounds. And though the amount of money flowing into 529 plans is at record levels now, $328 billion in 2018, um, according to the College Savings Plan Network, there's still a lack of understanding about how the, the accounts work. In fact, one-third of Americans don't even know that a 529 plan is the way to save for college, according to a, a, a survey this last month um, by Edward Jones. 
Um, and even among those who do know, almost half didn't know about the possible tax benefits and other features of the 529 plan. So a lot of people still don't understand how these work, John. And so if you have children heading off to college this fall and you plan to tap your 529 plans to pay expenses, it's important to withdraw the money correctly and avoid these tax issues that I talked about when you file your returns. And if you're not careful, you could get hit with a 10% tax penalty. Um, plus, you have to pay any interest on the earnings uh, for any funds that you that you use for the wrong kind of expenses that aren't qualified. So having said all that, you know, here are some things to keep in mind when you start taking money out of your 529 plan for college. Yeah, the first one here, uh, make sure that you withdraw funds only for qualified expenses. Um, you know, and there's pretty uh, there's pretty wide range educational related expenses that you can pull f- uh, for, like tuition, fees, books, supplies, computers. Um, the money can go- also go towards room and board as long as a student is enrolled in school at least half time. Uh, dorm expenses are, are certainly covered, but if your child is living off campus, you have to look at the the college's cost of attendance figures to find out the amount that is considered qualified for off-campus housing. And I did that for my kids went to South Carolina and they both lived off campus, you know, most of the time they were there. So there is a number out there as well as food uh, as well. Um, But not all college related bills are are valid for 529, you know, things such as transportation and insurance, uh, for example, are not covered. So, you know, make sure you, you, you talk with your plan provider on that to see which expenses actually qualify. Yeah, I didn't even know there was like a separate number for qualified off-campus housing. I always use, maybe it's part of my problem, I always use the number that was that was as if they stayed in a dorm. Mm-hmm. I use that number to... I don't to, think it's much different, honestly. I mean, the yeah. dorms are expensive, but there is, right. there's there's certainly a number out there. I, I use the dorm cost, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that is that is one of the issues, though, trying to figure out those kind of numbers and then document it. But keep in mind, you have to spend the money you take out of 529 plan in the same calendar year, not the same school year, as you withdraw the money. <clears throat> and you got to keep receipts for that. And that causes a problem, you know, because you get the bill for your spring semester in December. Mm-hmm. And so you can't take money out in December and pay for it in January. You know, that doesn't work. So so you got to work around those issues and you got to be kind of careful there. Um yeah, the 529 p- provider um, may not require proof to withdrawal, but the IRS could require you to prove those expenses were for educational cost, as they did for me for several years. So the best way to avoid this is to have the money sent directly to the school to cover the tuition and related expenses. Of course, that's not possible if you're covering the cost of books, you know, or the rent for an off-campus apartment. So either way, you got to keep some great records um, for your tax return. In fact, I used to have a spreadsheet that mm-hmm. I would fill out every year, yep. and I would make the girls, you know, my girls send me receipts every time they rented a book or anything. I'd say, hey, you got to email them that receipt, you know, honey, I got to have that. Yeah, there's some and, administration uh, that it, goes on with it. There is. Sure. It is not without. So I did that for like eight years. So <laughs> I was very glad when I sent that last payment in for college and got that, you know, that part of my record keeping off my books and I didn't have to do it anymore. But um, also, though, you know, thanks to a change in 2017 under the Jobs Cut and in, in jo- the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, 529 money now can be spent on K through 12 education expenses, but only up to $10,000 per student per year. But it does open the door to a new opportunity to use that money. 
Um, but be aware, not every state will recognize elementary and secondary education expenses as qualified education expenses. So you got to check with your plan sponsor and make sure you know exactly what's covered in your state um, for state tax deduction, you know, ability. Um, then also you need to decide where the funds you'd like the funds to go. Because you have some options here. When you're withdrawing money out of 529 plans, your account provider will pay, can pay to school directly, as I suggested, um, or they can write a check to you, or they can write a check to your to your kid, to your college age child. I may not want to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest doing that either. <laughs> that would be a problem. Um, but anyway, you know, having the money sent directly to the school may sound like the best option. Uh, but then it could have financial aid implications as well. And it won't help you if you need the funds to pay for supplies or rent, you know, that, that are outside of the school. So you got to be careful there. Um, you know, I will tell you one more problem I had, and that was with timing of these payments. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would get a bill in July or maybe it was August, you know, for the, for the first, for the fall semester. And the bill would come, and as soon as I got the bill, the second I got the bill, John, I would log on and have the fi South Carolina 529 plan cut a check mm -hmm. to to Clemson mm -hmm. for my girls. Yep. Well, you know, guess what? The bill comes, and it's due like a week later, yeah, right? They don't give you a lot and of time. So they don't. So, so I'm thinking, okay, well, this is a state program going to a state-supported school. No problem. You know, this money this is going to—well, then I'd like— a week later, you know, I log on to my girl's account in Clemson, and we got a $75 late bill, late fee, yeah. and it hasn't <clears> been paid. So I call the school, and I'm like, hey, what's up with this? You know, you're, you know, I, I the second I got your bill, I, I, you know, put in for a check to go, and, you know, you should have the money by now, right? I mean, you're a state-supported school, and y'all get thousands of checks every single year from these, from this plan, right? And the person's like, oh, no, you know, it, it sometimes takes a couple of weeks. Um, you know, sorry about that. But, yeah, you know, we haven't gotten yeah. the money yet. You're I, late. I had the same thing. Danielle <laughs> called me on the phone, and they canceled her classes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so there you go. She was fussing to me. I'm like, wait a second. So I did. I had the same conversation. It, I was like, come on, guys. I'm, it, like, I mean, I'm like, you're a state-supported school. It's yeah. like, y'all haven't figured out some kind of, you know, electronic way yeah. to get your money, yeah. you know, for these thousands and thousands of checks you're getting every, every yeah, semester. they're old school. That's for sure. They are very old school. Anyway, so they said, oh, we'll put you on a payment plan. That'll give you like an extra three weeks. And so, and then when it comes, it'll pay it off. So yeah. you, you might be okay there. And <laughs> So, you know, but I mean, hey, something to look out for. I mean, you got to, you got to, timing is, is a problem. So you want to make sure it's paid directly to the school and, and, you know, you want to get it paid quickly. Yeah. Something else to consider is the control uh, over the funds. And one of the benefits of the 529 is um, that the, uh, as the account owner, uh, typically the parent, they, they retain control of the assets. Uh, once you disperse those to the beneficiary, you, you lose that control. So, as you and I talked about, we didn't we didn't give our students the the responsibility of paying that. So certainly recommend keeping control of that and leave yourself as the owner of the account. Uh, that way, you can also change the beneficiary at any time, and it'll have less impact on the child's qualification for any kind of financial aid um, since it's not owned in their name. Yeah, that's right. And for heaven's sake, you know, if you have the money sent directly to your college age child after all of our warnings and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, disclaimers here, you know, make sure he or she keeps detailed records of receipts of how the funds are spent. Um, again, this is not our recommended way to withdraw money, you know, since you're going to lose total control over how it's spent and retaining the records for those expenses. 
is going to be challenging, let's say the least. <laughs> but also, you know, remember that using a 529 account can disqualify you for tax credits. Um, <clears throat> there's the American Opportunity Tax Credit that gives you a $2,500 tax credit when you spend $4,000 on college costs. But if you pay all those costs with money from a 529 plan, you can't get the tax credit. And I shouldn't have to tell you this, but a tax credit's better than 529 money. Mm -hmm. Because tax credit is called free money. That's free, free money. So you want to use your free money before you use your own money. And a tax credit's free. So spend $4,000 not out of your 529 plan. Get your $2,500 tax credit if you qualify um, and then spend the rest of it out of your 529 plan. That's our suggestion. You want to do both if you can. Um, so, you know, the IRS doesn't allow the double dipping, so you can't use the same dollars for both. Um, but one way to ensure you get the credit, like we said, is to carve out $4,000 of tuition, textbooks, um, you know, room and board, whatever it is. And, uh, well, actually, I think it's only tuition and textbooks account for that credit. So mm-hmm. you want to carve that out of tuition and textbooks and then pay the remaining cost out of your 529 plan. But keep in mind, the eligibility does begin to phase out for single taxpayers. It's 80000 and it's totally cut out at, at 90000 of adjusted gross income. And for joint filers, it's 160000 and it phases out totally at, at 180000 But if you're below that limit, by all means, we would suggest get both because the tax credit is definitely worth getting. That's a, that's $2,500 of free money. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, another one here is make sure that the withdrawals are uh, strategically you know, planned out to minimize borrowing. So it doesn't always make sense to use all of the 529 money at once. There are limits to the amount that you can borrow from a federal loan each year. It's about fifty five hundred in the first year, and goes all the way up to to seventy five hundred um, after after that. If you claim the student as a dependent, which most people do, so you just got to do some planning on that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you spend your five twenty nine money in the first years of college, um, and you need to borrow later, you could exceed the federal loan limits and have have uh, <clears throat> to turn to costlier, you know, less consumer friendly private loans. So instead, spread out your 529 withdrawals over all four years so that you can keep each year's borrowing limits under the federal limits. So you want to kind of, you know, same thing with the tax credit. You know, you want to kind of work this out, plan this over four years. Don't do not do everything in the first year and then, you know, be stuck with some less attractive choices in the, in the latter years. Um, and then lastly, you know, you want to spend or save your leftover funds. If you're among the few savers who end up with a balance on your child's college graduation, you have a few options um, of what to do with that money. You can save the money for graduate school or switch it over to another beneficiary, to another family member, such as a younger child um, or your spouse, uh, who's likely maybe to go back to school uh, for some reason. You know, you can also cash it out entirely. um, But if you do that, you know, you'll owe interest on the earnings portion, plus you owe a 10% tax penalty on the earnings. So you don't want to do that if you can avoid it. Um, however, if you have grandchildren, if your children aren't, aren't finished, if even if they are finished, you can keep the account for grandchildren. And that's what we're doing. We have some money left over. We've left it in the account. Um, we're letting that grow for, for grandchildren down the road. You actually, the money grows tax-free. 
Um, you know, you're never going to lose it by hanging on to it. You can, you can even leave it to your beneficiary, successor owner is what they call it, mm-hmm. um, as a beneficiary. And they don't have to take it out either. So the money can stay in there really forever, um, which is kind of a unique benefit, right? It's better than an IRA. As long as it's used somewhere down the road for college expenses, it'll be tax-free. So, you know, my suggestion is leave that money in there, you know, pass it on, um, leave it for grandchildren. You don't have to spend the money. That's the point. Um, but uh, hopefully you'll have that problem and have too much money in there. <laughs> good That's topic. a good problem to have. All right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah. When we went to the, the boy state, one of the, the questions was, is um, I heard that there was going to be a recession this year. And um, I just saw an, an article that said, hey, yep. there are some people that are concerned about a recession in 2020. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a recession at some point in the future. There's right? always a chance of recession. <laughs> I mean, come on. I every mean, every year, that's the question. Yeah. Is this the year for the recession? And if it's not 2020, it'll be 2021. I mean, it's like, all yeah. right, so no one can predict these, you know, these these data points. There's always been recessions. There's been recoveries. There's been up markets, down markets. The the down markets are happen about 25% of the time. You cannot um, pick it. You can't, you know, forecast when the markets are going to be down, period. And, and it would be good to define a recession because a recession technically is two quarters of negative GDP growth. It's only two quarters. It's six months. It's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, it happens and then the market recovers. You got to, that's just noise in your long-term time horizon. Forget about a recession. Save for the future yeah, if and you're- just... Don't if, worry about it. If you're putting money in, the market goes down, you're buying more shares. If you're in retirement, you likely have, you know, quite a few bonds. Yeah, yeah so exactly. It's okay. So, so, yeah, there could be a recession. I don't see it, you know, this I, I, year, yeah. but and then you never know. You never know. And so don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. All right. Good, good uh, question of the week. And that leads up here to our last topic, and that is don't make these home buying mistakes. Yeah, this is from the Ramsey organization, and, uh, you know, we see a lot of people buying homes, Steve, and, um, you know, pretty pretty soon, you know, if you buy a home, you'll have that, you know, lawn to cut and maybe have kiddos out there running around the sprinklers and so forth, but, you know, buying a home is serious. It's one of the largest purchases you'll ever make, and if you do it wrong, um, it can really become a... Uh, a stress on your family and it can rob you of some of your other financial goals. It can turn into a burden versus a blessing. So kind of knowing what not to do is important as you go through this. So we're going to go through a couple of items here and um, kind of give you some, some things to think about. Yeah, exactly. And so mistake number one is buying a house when you already have a lot of debt, we'll say, you know, when you're trying to buy a house, and you're in a lot of debt already, it's kind of like trying to run a marathon with a bunch of weights chained around your legs. I mean... That's hard enough to run a marathon it, without any weights, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, it'd be like impossible if you had weights around your legs. Um, yeah, I mean, even if you make it to the finish line, you're not exactly going to get your banana or your your free, your medal or your yeah. free bananas because, I mean, everyone else has long gone by the time you get there. Um, yeah, I mean, debt weights, you know, they, they, they're going to way down your budget um, if you have debts. And, you know, it holds you back. Um, it's money that could be spent to, to speed up your house savings goal. Um, so piling a mortgage on top of the monthly debt payments like student loans, car loans, credit cards, you know, they're just going to put you one emergency away from foreclosure. So you got to be careful. You know, I mean, I think... It's very common. We see people all the time that, you know, are buying houses and they already have, you know, they still have student loan debt or they have something else and they have car loans. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, having said that, you want to be careful, you know, I mean, so you, you want to, if at all possible, you want to have all your debts paid off and be totally debt free before you buy a house. Yeah. That's have, the goal. And have an emergency fund built up and so forth. Absolutely. So it's, it's just, it, it's very stressful when you add that kind of debt onto to other debt. So that's a good, good, uh, item to think about. Another one here is buying a house you can't afford. And you think this would be an obvious red flag, but, um, it's a home buying mistake. A lot of people make. And they say, sure, this house costs more than I plan to spend, but it's just perfect, right? And I'll just take out a bigger mortgage, and that's not a good idea. Taking on more mortgage than you can afford is um, is going to mess up your budget. I mean, it can wipe out your financial goals. And so here's kind of a, a rule of thumb is is uh, don't take out a, a mortgage that's going to have a house payment more than 25% of your uh, take-home pay. And this includes... You know, the principal and interest, the property taxes, homeowners insurance, um, you know, and you got to make sure that 25 percent. What happens is it'll give you room um, for other things to live, like to save for retirement and do some family vacations. We see people up in the 40 to 50 percent range and they have no room for anything. That's right. And, you know, and you got to think of contingencies, too, because, I mean, I just met with a couple last night and he just got laid off just like two weeks ago, mm. you know, and uh, fortunately she's got a job, but it's not a you know real high paying job. So, you know, now they're, they're going to be struggling, you know, even with his unemployment for that he's going to get for 14 weeks, they're going to be struggling to, to make all their payments mm-hmm. and they have some other debt and things, too. So. These are exact the exact situation we're talking about yeah. here. Um, you know, you got to you got to think and make sure that un, in that contingency, if somebody loses their job and your family, you still have a plan. You have an adequate emergency fund. You have you know some ways to still make your mortgage payment. You're not looking at foreclosure and you know losing everything you have in the house. So that's a great point. And so you know, so how much should you save for a down payment is the next one because. Not having enough in a down payment is is the mistake number three. You know, if you're getting a mortgage, one of the worst mistakes you can make is not having saved enough for the down payment and putting something less than 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 actually twenty percent down. I mean, that's what we recommend. That's what everybody recommends, so you don't have to buy PMI insurance. Mm-hmm. But we see people all the time that have less than even ten percent. Um, that are putting down because they have like an FHA loan or a VA loan or a USDA loan, and they make it easier to to get a house with almost nothing down. I mean, that sounds like a great deal, but the problem is, you know, you're you're charged so much in extra interest and fees that you're going to feel like you're never paying off the house, and it's going to really slow down the process. Yeah, that PMI is called private mortgage insurance. It's a type of insurance that protects your lender from losing money in the case you can't make your mortgage payments and depends on the size of the mortgage, but it can be a hundred, 150, $180 a month. I mean, yeah. it's just a waste. And you're insuring the, the lender. You're not even yeah. insuring yourself. You know, at least you could be putting that money toward your own life insurance or yeah. something. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. You want to put 20% down. Yeah. You also want to make sure um, that you understand closing costs. I mean, closing costs can be anywhere between three and 4% of a home value. Um, you know, you got uh, inspection fees and appraisal fees. So for a $200,000 home, that's six to $8,000 you'll need on top of you know, your down payment. And uh, you also have moving expenses. So there's some additional hidden costs that you have to understand. That's right. Next mistake is not getting pre-approved. <clears throat> you know, a mortgage pre-approval letter not only tells the seller that you're a serious buyer, but it also says choosing you means that the paperwork process will move faster because you're already pre-approved. So get pre-approved 
um, and not just pre-qualified, get pre-approved. It gives you a leg up against the competition. Um, so trust us, it's worth spending the time to get pre-approved for your mortgage. Yeah, another one here is getting the wrong kind of mortgage. I mean, some of the, the government-sponsored uh, mortgages, FHA, VA, they're designed to get you in the house no matter what your financial situation is. So what we recommend and what Dave Ramsey re- recommends as well is get a 15-year fixed-rate conventional mortgage. It pays off in 15 years every single time. And if you get that when you're 30 years old, yep. you'll be in your mid-40s. It'll set you up for helping out with college and kids. It'll you know maybe able to retire early. I mean, that's really important. 15 years is a, is a great mortgage to get. And you'll get a lower <clears throat> rate, too, with the 15-year right. mortgage. Exactly. Another mistake here is co-signing your mortgage. Bottom line, Steve, if, if you have to get a co-signer, you can't afford it. That's it. Right? The bank is sitting there going, hey, we can't just give it to you. You have to someone have someone coming back in behind you. That means you can't afford it. That's, that's what banks a, do. That's a big red flag. Yeah. So that's right. Next mistake here is buying mortgage points. You know, when you're shopping for a mortgage, your lender might offer you an option to buy discount points. Um, they're a way to lower your interest rate on the mortgage. But that's only because they're paying part of the interest on the upfront of, of the mortgage instead of over the life of the loan. You know, mortgage points typically aren't worth it. So, you know, bottom line is stay away from mortgage points. You know, just get a conventional loan with, mm-hmm. with no upfront points. Yeah, and the last mistake here is um, buying a home without a home inspection. Big, big mistake. I mean, you got to have some professional come in there, take a look at it, evaluate it. It may be something so so big that you don't want to buy the house and that you're out. So if you don't get a home inspection, you may be buying a lemon. And uh, you got it. You got to make sure the house checks out. So you definitely want to have somebody that knows what they're looking at. Go up uh, underneath the house, through the attic, all through the house, test all the appliances, the HVAC units, see how old they really are, not how old the seller says they are. Mm-hmm. So and see how old the roof is so you really know what the big ticket items are and you know when they're going to come due so don't be suckered into that so great topic and that leads up here to our last thing and that is the prescription of the week yeah and talking with the the boy state uh, group uh, we had about 150 kids that went through it and you know just talking to them about financial concepts and it's really simple um you know the envelope system particularly for kids um if you have kids in the home or you have grandkids um, 10% of earnings, um, you know, goes to giving, you can put that in an envelope and then give that away however you deem, uh, you know, correct. And then 15% goes to a long-term savings envelope, put that into a custodial account or somewhere that it can grow long-term and the rest of it can be spent or, or used to save for an item. But 10% giving, 15% saving, and you start teaching your kids at a very early age, hey, it doesn't have to be complicated. Just live on the 75%. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, at even age five, if you're giving yeah. them a, a, you know allowance or they're working around the house or something, that's a great way you know, to, to teach them about money. Get them using the envelope system very, very early. Do you so, have Josh out there cutting grass at five? Or? Oh, man. Well, maybe not grass, but I, <laughs> had, him, I had him picking up, stacking stuff, oh, I whatever did too. it takes. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you teach them work. You know, it's, it's related. You work a little bit, you get paid, and exactly. it's, a good, it's a good exactly. lesson. Yeah, we didn't give allowances. They had to yeah. earn, earn the yeah. allowances. They had right. chores. chores. Right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So that was good. All right. Well, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info@moneymd.net, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. Children are-
This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Dan Associates, a registered investment advisor.